Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Obviously, we got a lot to discuss on today's show. We are fresh off of the ceremonial symbolic start to every season. The 2024 ITA kickoff weekend now officially in the rearview mirror. It delivered all the drama. It delivered all the upsets. It delivered all the thrilling tennis college tennis fans could have hoped for in what is always such an exciting weekend for fans to enjoy. Of course, here on today's show, we want to recap all that action for all of you college tennis fans who might have missed out on anything. That, of course, means running you through all of the results we saw from our 15 different regions. It means talking you through the upsets. It means talking you through what we learned in what is often the first significant weekend of data gathering as college tennis fans in every new season. The point being, we got a jam-packed show for all of you fans to enjoy tonight as not only do we break down what happened over the course of IT a kickoff weekend, but of course, we'll break down our new Crack Rackets top 10 poll as well, and then we'll preview the week ahead. Now, if at any moment in tonight's podcast, you don't hear the typical enthusiasm out of me, it's not because I'm not amped for tonight's show. I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of the kickoff weekend, and I am so grateful to all of you college tennis fans, by the way, who tuned into our coverage on ESPN Plus on our Crack Rackets YouTube. It's why we started this podcast all those years ago to hopefully grow our platform to be able to provide the sort of platform that we know college tennis deserves and to be able to have matches for you on our YouTube channel on ESPN Plus. Again, it was everything we dreamed of. We hope to continue to build on it moving forward. But one way we also build on things here at Crack Rackets is by exploring our non-college tennis interests in the tennis world. And in that spirit, the muted tones on tonight's podcast are because I am exploring one of those non-collegiate level interests. I am at the ATP Challenger in Cleveland, where, by the way, I've already spent an hour talking with guys like Patrick Maloney, Matt Kiger, Ethan Quinn, and others. There's some college tennis vibes certainly here in Cleveland, and I hope to have brought them to this hotel. I am also, though, hoping to not get kicked out of my room. So again, if there are muted tones throughout the course of this show, it's not because I'm not excited. It's because I am trying to be a decent guest to my other 
hotel stayers. That said, thankfully, I have a man joining me who will surely bring all the enthusiasm we need on tonight's show. Of course, he is a man in a hood mentality tonight. I wish we are live on YouTube. We'll start that sometime soon so you can all see the smiling face of my co-host. You know him as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks Formula Predictions, never far from the listed UTR, the lean, mean Michigan Wolverine. It's the professor, Chris Halioris, joining us once again. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Kickoff weekend in the books. We're recording a late night podcast from me in a random hotel room. We are so back, my friend. How are you feeling? I am feeling great. I'm not worried in the least about you getting kicked out of your hotel room because you've paid for those, what, three hours at least? I mean... Uh, uh, but no, yeah, this, what a, man, what an <laughs> awesome weekend. We got all of the kickoff goods we were at, we thought we'd get. And uh, yeah, it was fantastic weekend. And once we get through talking about that, oh my goodness, I don't remember. I, I, I'll say this. I can't remember the last time that immediately following the kickoff weekend, we had so many good matches on tap. Usually there's a little lull, but man, oh man, if you look at this weekend schedule, it's crazy good and better than I can remember post kickoff weekend in the past. I'm going to give you credit for this, Chris Halioris, even though obviously coaches in the know probably have known for quite some time that, hey, if you play a match against a highly ranked opponent and lose it, it really doesn't hurt you. But if you win that match, oh my God, are you rewarded in the rankings moving forward? It feels like just about every serious head coach now in men's college tennis has adopted that philosophy, Chris, because you're absolutely right. In this month of February, two weeks to go before the indoors, no one's afraid of playing anyone. Like the big one, obviously, Virginia, before the national indoors, will have played Texas, South Carolina, and Ohio State. That is a ridiculous ridiculous run of pre-indoor matches. And again, there's Michigan's traveling to Harvard's. We had a Tuesday UCLA-Oklahoma State three-hour thriller that was really good this week. I love the aggressive scheduling. I think college tennis fans everywhere will enjoy that as well. And as we look more broadly at the results we saw this weekend, Chris, it is worth noting, you know, we projected there would be a lot of fun won four matchups throughout the course of the kickoff weekend. By the way, there was also a non-kickoff Michigan State Pepperdine match that was pretty thrilling for fans to follow at home. It's just the depth this year, and it's the last year of the Super Senior, where, again, players who would otherwise have aged out of college tennis were granted that extra year of eligibility due to COVID, in case you have forgotten that fact as tennis fans. And it just means we're going to be treated to, I feel like, four. 4-2 is the new 4-1, if that makes sense. Like, 4-1 is the new 4-0. If you beat someone 4-1, like, that is a significant victory. Because the depth everywhere, Chris. I was watching Scheisel versus Gonzalez in that Oklahoma State-UCLA match. That was the five singles match. And you're just like... What is going on? Like Von Lobensells versus Peeney at the number six spot, which was the clincher, the weapons of Von Lobensells. And you're like, this guy's at number six on a team that is not even top 20 right now. Like, I think that's my biggest take when I know this is rosy eyed and I'm always glass half full of people at this point. They just accuse me of being a salesman. They don't even think I cover the sport anymore. They're just like, who are you plugging today, Alex? I get that reputation. I'm maybe not as 
hardline as I once was. But I know what I saw with my eyes, Chris, over the course of 36-plus hours of broadcasting these last five days, and it's just the quality of tennis. It, like Even that Clemson-South Carolina round one regional match, not oh, one we probably no. had circled as like, oh, this one might go 4-3. It came down to two all-freshman three-set matches. Like It's just everywhere, man. And with no ad being how it is already an evening factor— I'm just buckling my seatbelt, Chris, for what might be an exciting year. I absolutely. And and the other thing I think that we've seen is that even though some of these teams have tremendous depth, there are going to be guys that take that are not in the lineup that, you know, they, they either need days off and the injuries happen and we get some crazy good matchups with. You know, whether it be Texas sitting guys, South Carolina not playing guys, you know, and any and all of the above are going to happen. And you're just, you know, we saw Stanford not playing Nishesh in singles. And, you know, it's just it's going to happen. You know what happens all the time. But I mean, that just makes these things even all that more interesting. And we get to see more of the depth. And yeah, again, I, I still think, you know, the top, you know, there's a top, top tier but after that, man, it's so wide open. No, you mentioned, like, again, in particular, that day one where Harvard loses doubles, South Carolina loses doubles, Mississippi State loses doubles. You know, Tennessee was the only team that won doubles, it felt like, for like a three, four-hour stretch there. And those were the round one matches of these regionals. So you're absolutely right. I think UTSA beat Texas in doubles. And like to see both Texas and South Carolina in the round two matches, South Carolina's like, you know what? We're playing Connor Thompson in doubles. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. we're just, yeah, I've, I'm sure Goffey's like, I'm just not doing this Coach anymore. Goffey said, that's yeah. it. We cannot yeah, afford. He heard me say, LSU could push him. No chance. We're not yeah. letting that happen. We're winning doubles today. No, Bruce, same thing. It was just like, I think we're going to beat Oklahoma State. And by the way, Oklahoma State almost made that a match. If Braswell doesn't close out that second set, things get more complicated for them. But even he, and I know there were some injuries and illnesses they were battling, but it was like, no, no, no. We're going to play P.Y. Wall deep. We're going to go G.A. Braswell. We're like, we're not screwing around with the doubles lineup anymore. We're going to bring out the big dogs in this Oklahoma State match. And again, speaks to the quality of play. All these host home regions pushed. And again, speaks to just the totality of awesomeness we got from the wave of results we saw over kickoff weekend. And again, we had 60 teams in action. Are we going to talk about every result we saw? No, because if we do that, this podcast will go nine hours. But we want to run you through all 15 regions. I created four categories as opposed to the three we had on yesterday's women's show because there was just that much funkiness on the men's side. I had to create an additional category, Chris, and that's where we're going to start our breakdown of all 15 regions. We're going to start with a category that simply we have to call. How the hell did that happen? And that's where we saw some serious upsets or just some serious funkiness, weird things that we're all going to be scratching our head about in April and be like, hey, remember when this result happened? And I think first and foremost on that list starts in the Kentucky region where Kentucky wasn't even on my list of like, upset alerts or things I need to be monitoring because, no, we didn't have them on our kickoff weekend broadcast, but they were hosting all non-top 30 teams in Notre Dame, in Nebraska, 
and of course in Alabama. And by the way, this was a Friday-Saturday regional, the only one we had on the men's side. So, you know, for a hot second there, they they got to be the lone regional final, dare I say, uh, on Saturday on the men's side. And, you know, again, can I, I just... Alabama had their moments. They were frisky at times last year. There's no doubt about it. And I even said I like what they bring back at the top with Planisac, with Aguiard, but there's just no way they're going to go to Kentucky. It didn't even cross. Like, I was concerned, are they going to get through their first match against Nebraska? Like, is the tougher match actually Notre Dame to start for these Kentucky Wildcats because maybe they have the best player in a Sebastian Domenico? I overlooked Alabama. And it's a credit to the Tide. They made the most of the format you play in Kentucky. Only four indoor courts there. They never let five and six get into play. Alabama takes the doubles point. 7-5 in the third win from Planasek on one. 6-4 in the third win from Aguiard at two. And the big one, Mateus Ponce de Leon. 6-7-6-2-6-2. He knocks out the sophomore Jaden Weeks. Now, again, for what it's worth, Laudit, three and three at four. Cosne, one and one at five. And you imagine that one went pretty quickly because they started probably an hour and a half behind the number two singles match and finished before it. I didn't have this one on my bingo card, Chris. How did it happen? What did we see here from Bama? Was this something we should have given more attention to beforehand? I'll I'll be honest. I had another SEC coach text me before we even started any matches for kickoff weekend and said, I think Bama might push Kentucky. And I'm with you. I thought, you are effing nuts. Like, <laughs> it's just not happening, right? And boy, oh boy, I, and I obviously what they saw, you know, what, what they saw was what ended up, you know, continuing into this match. And that was Josh Lapidat is not the Josh Lapidat that we've seen of the past, right? I mean, that's, for for Kentucky to lose Lapidot and body at one two, that is huge. Can I change that framing not to interrupt? It's not that he's not the Lapidot of the past. It's that the Lapidot of the past has now been asked into the number one single spot. And it's a little bit different, right? Like it, there's no doubt he struggled there. And we're only a month in, yep. three weeks in, four matches in, whatever, if you're Kentucky, but What's the win? Like, uh, did he get a win over Domenico for Notre Dame? I'll look that up here. No, I, think I don't the think four so. point, Yeah, I think the four points came elsewhere uh, yeah. for the Wildcats. And, right. you know, again, I always said the strength of this Kentucky team, that's what my hot taste was, hot take was based off of. It wasn't going to be Lapidot and Body at the top two. My whole thing was I really like their freshmen at four, five, and six. But I'll tell you what, again, like, you're asking freshmen to get acclimated to doubles. That's going to be really tricky early in the season. You're also asking Lapidot and Body to step up in a lineup in a way they just had never been asked early in their career. And so I'm still going to play the long game with this Kentucky team. I really like the talent they have. They got to figure out who fits where, get everyone playing their best, get everyone acclimated to their positions. I will also say there was one pathway for Alabama. Doubles, one, two, three. And they needed three three-set wins to get it. So, like, what I'm saying here, Chris, I guess, and then I'm shutting up and letting you talk, I swear, I'm not hitting the panic button. If I'm Kentucky, 
I think Alabama went into this hand, you know, again, to make a blackjack analogy, they had 17 up and the dealer was showing a nine and then the dealer hit like a three and they were at 12 and it was like, oh my God, we're losing this for sure. And then of course, you know, again, with with the player in this instance being Alabama, dealer gave you a face card, dealer gave you a 10, dealer busted in the case of Kentucky, they lose all three three-set matches at the top three spots. Like, I think that's the thing you're telling yourself. If you're a Kentucky fan, and that's my spin, is like, Alabama ran the perfect path to get there. They did everything they needed to do, and it's a credit to them, but it's why I'm not hitting the panic button on Kentucky. Yeah, I, I wouldn't hit the panic button, but I'll also say, look, there's no doubt you've been higher on Kentucky than I've been yeah. to start. And I think that this match to me, yeah, if they play this match 10 times, do I think Kentucky wins eight of them? Yes. Do they win nine? I don't know, maybe. But like they, the only one that mattered was the one they actually played in Alabama one. Now, the part, the thing that worries me the most here is the fact that we've got Jaden Weeks, you know, at three, I know he's coming back off of injury and he's, you know, he's fresh now and he had to go three sets, but he wasn't even great at five last year for them. And now he's playing three and and, and not winning. I, I won't be shocked if we see Loudit move up into that spot and maybe even just give Weeks a little time to come back. But I am, I'm a little more worried. I think it's a must that, that Lapidot and Body get a lot more productive at one, two than they've been so far. But even if that happens, my, my skepticism is still in where you love this team and that's down low. I just have to, I mean, we're playing, you know, weeks and Cosne as the sophomores and loud and Stevenson as the freshman. And I almost feel like it's a microcosm of many of these teams that have brought in so many freshmen that we've been a year early on that I feel like, man, yeah, we've got some sophomores that just don't, you know, haven't produced yet and they need to and freshmen that are just freshmen and maybe we're just early here. But uh, yeah, I, it, I'm not panicking. I just think they're going to be solid, but I don't see the greatness. Like I don't see top eight type, you know, sure. we're challenging for top eight. I think 16, yes. Eight, man, that's a real stretch. I think Tennessee and South Carolina looking like they have to start the season in terms of that pecking order, top of the uh, SEC. You just can't put them in the same tier with South Carolina and Tennessee after the first month with those results. I will say on the other side, because we've talked obviously a lot of Kentucky here, Alabama last year, 12-15 and overall. They did get wins at Florida. They got a win versus Auburn at home. They beat Mississippi State, obviously, in the conference tournament. But did you know, Chris Halliors, 12 and 15 overall last year, they played 11 4 3 matches. They went 4 and 7 in those 4 3ers. They get one to go their way here to start the season. This was 4 3 in everything but name. And again, that's a really good and a really experienced top three. It's, it's probably the biggest win of Coach Husek's career, right, at Bama to get to a national indoor final site and do something that, again, just this team needed. Like, this team has been losing 4-2, 4-3 matches, struggling in the SEC these past couple of years. And, you know, again, now at the very least, you can say our top 16 path isn't closed through the first month of the season. Most teams are. I'm looking. Uh, it's the first time since 2010 that Alabama emerged as a regional champion during a kickoff weekend. It's a massive moment for the Crimson Tide, Chris. Is 
Now, here's how I'm going to frame it, and I mean it in the nicest way possible. Are they the automatic 0-3 candidate coming into the national indoors, or do we, should we think about them being frisky? I mean, well, they're obviously an automatic candidate. I mean, there's there's a handful of teams that are going to be candidates. I had a feeling you might bring that up. But <laughs> but look, this is this is a, it's a very interesting way to look at this. And it, for folks that might have a little longer term memory of what Coach Husack has done recently, um, you have to make some determinations on what you think you've got in your team. And in pa- there have been some years here, very recent years in the past, where he has elected to withdraw their name from kickoff weekend altogether because he didn't want the possibility of going. And I've talked to a lot of coaches that are in this boat. They think, man, if we have a chance to win a region, which puts us at indoors, but I'm pretty dang confident that we go 0-3 at indoors it's like not a good thing for us. So I don't really want to play the kickoff weekend. And he's done that in the past. So what this tells me is there's only two reasons that he actually stayed in it this year. One is he thinks he's got the team that can actually go do some damage and win a match at indoors. Or two is, hey, look, he's got a contract that he's got to renew and he needs to show some progress and winning a site and making it to indoors will help do that. I can't tell you which one it is, but I do actually think that he believes that they could be frisky and they could get to indoors. Do I think they're going two and one? Probably not. Do I think they can avoid the 0-3? Yeah, totally possible. I think they can win a match at indoors. Again, it's a massive moment for this group and for a guy like Aguiard, who's a junior, a guy like Planasek, who's a junior, a guy like Ponce de Leon, a sophomore, maybe even more than anything, Chris, you can look at your athletic department and say, hey, we got something to build around here. Like Roan Jones, sophomore, Zach Foster, junior, and... Even if they go 0-3, all these guys get a look at what the best competition in college tennis looks like, and they all get to come back next season should they like. And so it's it's just, again, it's a massive moment. First time since 2010, more than a decade, almost a decade and a half, Chris, because it is 2024, as much as we both try to fight it. That's a massive win. And again, I think we covered that region pretty well. It is worth noting, again, other matches there. Nebraska 4-1 over Notre Dame in the kickoff final. Good win for Coach Cobelt as he kicks off his career there. I promise we're not going to spend 11 minutes on every region. We might spend 11 on this next one, though, as we stay in the how the hell did that happen region. And it's just, how the hell did we see what we saw in Starkville? Just across the board. It's not the fact that both Florida State and Mississippi State didn't emerge as the regional champion. It's that they both lost four, three matches in their opening regional match. And for Mississippi State in particular, a team, I was not shy in saying, are they the most underrated team? We we had that conversation. Are they the most underrated team as we approach kickoff weekend with all the veterans they have, just a humble 6-1 win over Florida State that was never in doubt entering the kickoff weekend with all, again, that institutional know-how, that talent one through six. Were we sleeping on the veteran presence that was these Mississippi State Bulldogs Mississippi State goes 0-2, Chris, on the weekend. And look, we should be talking about the Arizona State Sun Devils because they're the story coming out of Starkville. They not only 4-3 Florida State, they 4-2 VCU. Their freshman, Bohr Atnock, I believe I'm saying that correctly. Um, guy's the real deal. Just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And him and Cassone 1-2, you'll take those top two against 
any top two in the country. The fact that it pushes everyone else down, what it does for their doubles lineup. This Arizona State team, again, it's real. By the way, it's why I still had Baylor in the top 15 I submitted this week because Baylor went and beat them on the road and like then plays Arizona really tight on the road. Anyways, the point is Arizona State winning might be the least interesting thing of this region because you have the VCU storyline. Like they lost 6-1 sets on courts two and three in singles. They lost four first sets in singles overall after winning the doubles against Mississippi State. Not only did they win the match 4-3, they win the matches where they lost those 6-1 sets at two and three. That's a storyline. Florida State loses nine days earlier a pretty definitive 6-1 result to Mississippi State. They 4-1 them, uh, like indoors of all places in Starkville. I don't even know where I want to go with this region, Chris. You tell me what you learned from everything we saw unfold in Starkville over the weekend. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I follow this Mississippi State team, obviously, very closely and obviously a very disappointing week for them. So so I'll run through the the, the different teams' takes on the weekend. First of all, for Mississippi State, look, two and three, I'll say something just doesn't look right about Jovanovic at one. I, I don't know what it is there. I don't know if there he's, you know, there, there there's something going on, if he's got a health injury, or if he's just not in form, he doesn't look right. Two and three is a dumpster fire. Both days, Memo and, and Dusan at two and three look great in the first set. And I have no idea what happens after that. It's like they come out, you mentioned it, six one first sets, and then they lose matches. It's uh, things just go haywire. They're spectacular at four and five. They look great at four and five and six. Eh, it's always going to be a tight match at six. And it just, you know, it didn't go their way. Uh, <clears throat> but obviously a very disappointing weekend for them to go uh, for them to go. zero and two. And I think that was what happened. You know, the same thing happened on both days, but that's how VCU got them. VCU, and I'll tell you what, I had some, you know, I had somebody there that was on site watching that said, man, Bondaz for VCU is a fighter that just never gives up. And he's the guy that ended up clinching that first day match for them at, at two and, and put it in and made it really, really interesting in the final against Arizona State. They looked great. But in the end, Look, we we said they could give Mississippi State problems, but for them to do it two days in a row and actually pull them both off was going to be tough. Arizona State came, I mean, they came through. They're going to be, nobody wants to see this team on their schedule. You mentioned it. Kasson and Artnack at one and two, plus if they manage to get doubles, you 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 know, Arizona State feels like if they get doubles, they're looking at it going we can beat anybody at one and two. We could be up 3-0. Like, anybody, please find a point after that. We're not saying they're going to win every match at one and two. They're obviously not. But they know they're in there and they have a shot. And we, I mean, help Bohr. Bohr had to get a last-minute flight there from Indian Wells, made the quarterfinals in the Challenger, gets in at all late night in the morning before on Friday night before the match, Saturday, and then goes one and three over... Uh, who LP, I think at two for Florida state, just, just took them out. Uh, so Arizona state, obviously they have to feel great coming out of here with what they did. And, and that's, I mean, there's no, there is absolutely zero secret to how they win. They need to win one and two. They probably need to get doubles. 
And then they just get grab anybody that's playing great from that three through six spot after that. And if it's not doubles or not one or two, right, they got to get two of those. But but that's that's their lineup in a nutshell. Florida State, look, they they still don't look great to me. But I had to, I told you that I watched a lot of the first match where Mississippi State beat them six one. That was a very close six one. Even though we a lot of the matches were straight sets. Every single one of those matches hinged on deuce points and tight sets that could have gone either way. Like three of them were five all in the first and could have gone anyway. I could easily have seen that happening. And that's exactly what happened in the rematch is every single one of them just went the other way. Uh, it's just a rough, rough weekend for for State in, in Starkville to go 0-2 there. And obviously you've got to go, you've got to, you know, downgrade your outlook for that team, the question is, and I don't know that I think for Florida State, we're, we probably come out of the weekend going, yeah, yeah. I mean, they lost Arizona State, they beat Mississippi State. They're probably right about where we thought in like a twenty to twenty-five type team. The real question now is, how good can Arizona State really be? Can they compete in the Pac-12? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way. One of the biggest winners, the Pac-12, getting Arizona State in, getting Arizona in, getting USC in, even without Stanford there, like considering what we think the Cardinals might be this year, the Cardinal. I was going to say, did you just pluralize? I caught myself. Don't worry. I caught myself. Um, but yes, I did. Um, the big thing for Arizona State, Bullard went 2-0 and this weekend, like at the number four spot. If they can find someone in those bottom three, it doesn't have to be. And, you know, again, uh, Vergara, Del Puerto got to win this weekend. Gannat got to win this weekend. Bullard was just the only one to go 2-0. and If they can just count on one of those four through six, you're right. Then it starts to be like the Cressy-Smith-Nanda team where it's like, okay, we know what our three points are. It's just always can someone else find us the four. And, again, for Arizona State to be – We'll call them a two-and-a-half-point team right now. I don't think that's where we had them entering the season. It helps to get the late edition of the Boer Art Knock, but you're absolutely right. We'll get to see them tested. And the big thing is we're going to get to see how the bottom half of their lineup does. Three straight matches, Bullard, Vergara, Del Puerto, Gannat. I know it's going to be indoors, but you're going to see the best of the best. Like, I want to see those guys tested. That will be the litmus test for how good they are this season. Yeah, my last thought on them is... You know, a, I think we saw him the first day, possibly, but not the second day is Koshis, who uh, who got pulled and just hasn't had a good fall or start to the to the dual match season. So we're going to see some more of him. But the guy to me to really keep an eye on is Vergara, who comes over from Miami. And look, Coach Matt Hill there has has made a living at Arizona State so you know it in his career at ASU in getting some guys from other schools that maybe weren't panning out at that school to produce for them aka Dominic Kolofsky coming from Oklahoma State over and playing at the top of the lineup Nathan Pond with coming from Georgia playing at the top of the lineup the latest in that incarnation is Vergara coming from Miami and he's not even at the top of the lineup, but if he can do that same thing and get that production out of him, yeah, they could be dangerous. 
It's going to be fascinating again to see how this team does fare its first real test against the best of the best, at least in this iteration of this core. And again, a massive moment uh, for this Arizona State squad as they clinch a berth in the national indoors. I believe it is their first berth um, in history that the team has won both matches in the ITA kickoff weekend. So a first for Matt Hill, a first for the Sun Devils. And again, if I would have given you odds, Mississippi State goes 0-2 on the weekend, you would have said, Alex, you just have to give me $1. I'll give you all the dollars. I, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. And again, it, it speaks to the depth in college tennis this year. VCU was as good, if not better, down the home stretch when all the momentum started to go their way against, a v, uh, against Mississippi State. Florida State... 4-3 with the winners. Arizona State of this region come back and beat Mississippi State at home. Or on the road, excuse me. It's just a really good region. It was really fun. Again, some funkiness in Starkville. But with that said, Chris Halioris, can't spend 11 minutes on every region. So let's transition to our next category now of results. I called these regionals the that was fun section of regionals. And normally... These would lead the show. But again, this was just one of those weekends in the college tennis world where we pushed these down to category two. Let's start with the UNC region. We knew that one was going to be competitive. They had five top 25 teams, dare I say, in UNC, Wake Forest, Florida, and Illinois. Now, ultimately, it's Illinois, 4-3 victory over North Carolina. They take the doubles point, a couple three-set wins down the stretch. Uh, William Ross clinching at the number five spot. They get a 4-3 win over the Tar Heels. Wake Forest, 4-1 winners over a young Florida squad. And then, in the end, North Carolina avoids the 0-2 record. They 4-2 the Gators at home in the consolation. But Wake Forest, 4-1 wins over Florida and Illinois. Those are two really good wins over two top 25 teams in pretty decisive fashion, Chris Halliores. What did you learn about the Deacons this weekend? Yeah, I think uh, the fact that I probably have them underrated. Uh, I, I mean, look, I picked Illinois to come out of this region. Uh, and I remember pulling up the scores I said, Illinois, Florida win. Wake just killed Florida the first day. And I pull up the score and Illinois is down 3-1. When I only saw the team score, and I was like, holy cow, I'm going 0 for 2 on this. This is not looking good. And then I pull up, I pull it up and see that Illinois is leading the final three matches, uh, you know, in, that they had going and they do pull it out. But wow, Wake Forest, I, I definitely underrated what they can do, you know, what they've got. And I mean, I I know the, the Maronis, you know, I just don't know some of the newer faces. And I'm and I was very intrigued to see how Tachi was going to play where he was at. Uh, I I will probably always it's almost inevitable. And until he's gone, I'm going to underrate Matthew Thompson. I just, you know, whatever it is, it's kind of like I always underrate Texas. What, you know, it's just, it's, it's just one of those facts, facts of life. I'm going to go, yeah, Matthew Thompson's played. He, he, he's not a two or he's not a three, but he, yeah, he, he holds up just great. But yeah, they wake forest looked really good to me in this entire region, what I actually learned the most, and I'm surprised that this is what I learned is Florida's not as good as I thought they were. <laughs> I actually thought they were, I thought they could be sneaky good with, you know, Jeremy Jin, Aiden Ken at the top two spots, bring in Gannison in that three spot. And then you still have Bonetto and Nirendorn. And 
I, I mean, and I, they could still do some damage in the SEC, right? I mean, we still have a full SEC slate to play, but the way they went down 4-1 and 4-2 in those two matches, that was more surprising to me than any other result in the region. I think to me, the biggest thing for Flores, they just looked young. They looked as young as they are. Now, to your point about Wake Forest, the most encouraging spot, where did they win? They went 4-0 at the 5-6 and six positions this weekend, and they didn't drop sets in either spots. And again, Holden Coons was, I think it was James Madison. Is James where he Madison, yeah, he from. played one at James Madison. And he was really good at the one spot for them. And again, yes, it's a transition from non-Power 5 to Power 5 college tennis, but you're asking a guy who played one, and no matter what school you go to, you play one, you're getting real matches. You ask that guy to play five now, just one of those sneaky good transfer pickups for Coach Bresky to throw into that number five spot. Luca Pau, the freshman, 2-0 at number six over the course of the weekend as well. And by the way, Mraz might have clinched at six, not five against North Carolina. But 2-0 in doubles, 4-0 combined at the five and six spots. You know what we haven't said about Wake Forest, even when they were winning national championships, Chris? Hey, they won doubles. Hey, they're 2-0 at 5-6. and six. Like, that was never the Bresky recipe. And over these past couple of seasons, he's had 19 pieces. They should have been this good at 4, 5, and 6. Maybe this team is. Like, and this is still a younger group. It is interesting because it's not a younger group. Excuse me. It's a newer group in terms of putting the pieces together. But man, like... That's a, that's, a, that's a strong start. Depth is what we know wins matches. And I do think while this Wake Forest team relative to maybe the top peers a little thinner up top, particularly if you're asking a freshman, DK Suresh, to pull off multiple wins as he did 5-5 five and five against Hunter Heck in the regional final. But I do think the Wake Forest depth is real. And this just gets back to if somehow Adrian Boyton does become eligible this season, Chris, they get elevated to national championship. Like, not inner inner circle, but top eight contention, certainly, because this team is very deep, and they showed that this weekend. Yeah, you're right. A great observation on the doubles. I mean, look, and Coons, who you mentioned, right, is not – he's not a huge power guy. I mean, you throw – a you throw a lefty in the lineup that's got skill and I mean, it's it, you're automatically adding something and he's playing one dubs, great placement on his balls. He's going to add a lot of, to that doubles lineup, uh, especially if he's going to be able to play, play one dubs in there. And then at, down at five singles, you're right. It's a, he's going to be a, a weapon uh, down there. I'm not buying the Boyton thing. It's not, I mean, <laughs> until I see it, it's not happening. Uh, but uh but even without him, I, they're these guys are very dangerous. Out again, outside of Virginia, who's clearly going to be the 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 class of the conference. They're they're as good as anybody. They 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 could be two in the ACC, and they could, you know, if they can do what they did here, and they can get say two wins at indoors. I'm not going to say that they're not because the ACC is going to have points to go around this year. I don't know who it is because there are a lot of teams that have the possibility of being being really good there this year. There will be points to go around. And if they do emerge as the number two team in the ACC, they will get some points and they could challenge potentially for the one of those top eight spots. So now you're going to make me look it up, aren't you? Duke 
versus Wake Forest happening. I'm glad you asked. Penultimate ACC match at Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, April 12th. I'm going to say this right now. That's a wow. winner-go-home top eight match. Like Wow. By the way, Duke ends its season, North Carolina at home at Wake at NC State. Come on now. We will learn about the Blue Devils, uh, certainly, in that stretch. And, yeah, I do think that might be a top eight sort of stretch for either of those teams to be like, hey, let's take it home. Obviously, Wake Forest, if you're playing Duke, you're playing UNC in the next match as well. And so, um, yeah, I think that might be a winner go home top eight. Yeah, and, and, and I said I thought the the biggest thing I learned, you know, was about Florida. But the, the other thing I did learn here is – I uh, going into the weekend, I absolutely didn't think Wake was in a potential top eight conversation. I think with what the way they per, they looked here and now, if they can do something at indoors, yeah, they actually do have that potential. So that that's another thing I learned here. And their loss to Tennessee, I think, aged well as Tennessee looked very good, and we'll get to them in a little bit. Chris, let's get next to the Michigan regional. Now, you're a Michigan fan. You're biased. So I always want to just, you know, again, preface that for our listeners that don't know your complete bias towards the University of Michigan. You've been a Walmart Wolverine for years now. I can't reiterate that enough. I don't think I've ever seen you wear any color but maize and blue. Um, I say that as you're wearing a Florida Gator sweater as we record. Um, by the way, I'm wearing an Illini hat. That's just what but I, I mean, where did the Florida today. coach come from? Well, I like that we subliminally were just like, let's go blue and orange today. Like you got, yeah, I like yeah. that. I, I'm glad you got my yeah. memo because I, I sent yeah, an you. owl to you this morning and I'm glad she made it uh, in place. Here's the thing. Look, in another lifetime, I know someone who really would have celebrated this Michigan victory, would have called it a testament to the resilience of this group who has been doubted by everyone, including the two people on this podcast I think I have to write like a six page or like, you know how they used to say, here's your piece of chalk. Even though this was never actually a thing, write on the chalkboard a million times. I will not doubt Pator and Hachikoko. I will not doubt Pator and Hachi, whatever. Like that's what I probably have to be writing on the chalkboard moving forward because I just, I haven't seen him play and watching the consecutive fight from Patorn, not just in the win over Tennessee, obviously in what was ultimately a loss for the Wolverines, but to see him come back in three sets and knock out uh, and and get the clinching win, and more broadly to see this Michigan team lose the doubles point, but then get first sets at three, four, five, and six against this Stanford team, the depth of Michigan was the thing that separated itself. And I know again, Stanford's got a lot of freshmen. They're on the road. Obviously, you look for the freshman in particular. Only Rivera was able to earn a singles victory, and even his was three sets over Cooksey. But if I would have told you, Chris, that Michigan was going to lose doubles against Stanford, you'd be like, yeah, 4-0, 4-1. Like, that one's going to go pretty quick. They get four singles victories. They get straight set wins from Aaron Schneider over Kang at three, coming off of injury. Good to see Nino's level back. This is by far the biggest win of Bjorn Swenson's Michigan career, four and four over Godzik. I mean, again, I didn't see it coming. Did you? Well, I'll say this: they they dropped the double, and no boss for ready for Stanford. Yeah, I, that's exactly where I'm going. So I, I, you know, I, clearly I have family on the Michigan sideline. We have a family chat, and I said this in in the group family chat once Michigan dropped the doubles point was 
My only prayer now is that they pull Basavaretti from singles. Like, <laughs> because he hadn't been playing a lot. And I thought, you know, they, that needs to happen because they needed the doubles. And that doubles point came down, right, to a breaker. Uh, and it and it didn't go the way of Michigan. And, and I'm with you. I thought, yeah, if Stanford rolls out a full lineup, even if it's a lame Basavaretti at one, just pushing everyone down, it's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, and, and that's what needs to happen. But I will also say... Yeah, I had the privilege of, from the Michigan standpoint, I had the privilege of going down to Tennessee and I got to watch, you know, Patorn Honcheichel play down there. Uh, and, and you know, I was much more sold on, you know, I'm seeing everything he does. He's getting those balls deep. Does he have the biggest weapons in the world? No. Is he the biggest guy in the world? No. Can he play some absolutely amazing defense and amazing counter punching and actually turn it into offense. Yes, he can. And the way that he managed to stay in that match in the stand in the final, you know, against Stanford was absolutely incredible. Some of the points coming down the stretch there were crazy. And, uh, you know, as I had texted you, that was all caps effing Patorn. I mean, like he was amazing down the stretch but no did i did i see it coming was i gonna pick them right out of the gate no i do think that you know for stanford it's a look it's a concern for me for stanford if there's no way that they that you take the doubles point and go oh because we took the doubles point we don't need to play nishesh i have to believe that the thought was he's not playing you know going in Win or lose doubles, he's not playing singles. They didn't pull him because they won and thought they could win the match, which tells me there are lingering, you know, things going on there. And it gives me cause for concern on the Stanford side. But I think now that we've seen a handful of matches for this Michigan team, we saw them push Tennessee like they did with no Nino Aaron Schneider. We now see them get a... I don't even know what percentage I would put on the health of Aaron Schneider, but we get him back in the lineup and they actually win and they make it to indoors. And it is, and the depth is actually looking good for them. And look, the positive, if you're Michigan is the guy that looked so great for them last year was Will Cooksey. He's not winning right now. If he all of a sudden finds his game and starts winning where he's at, yeah, I mean, there's 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 a good upside for the Michigan team. I don't know how, you know, all bias aside, I don't know how you can't look at this team and go, man, they are dangerous. Do I think they're dangerous like we're going to beat Ohio State dangerous? No, Ohio State's ridiculously good. But I do think that probably you and I both, in if we had, you know, been serious with each other coming into the season, said, are they really going to be in front of Illinois? No. Yeah. Uh now it's a flat out dead heat with Michigan and Illinois and maybe even Michigan State minus it's tough for them without Marita, but they're in the conversation for sure, which is an upgrade from where we thought. This is going to be my last rant, and then I swear I'll start moving us along. Because I promised Chris, who stayed up very late for me, that we wouldn't go past midnight. And right now, Chris, we are on pace to make it to like 4 a.m. And so, because I think it's our fourth region. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're gonna, fourth, yeah. Hey, but we haven't gotten to the, like, let's the, roll Yeah, to the fly-through. Okay, a couple of things off of that, because there's a lot there. 
first on the Michigan. And again, I'm going to do these rapid fire. I'm in Cleveland. I saw my dear friend, Patrick Maloney. I missed him. It was good to see him. We, again, embraced, shared a man hug, and then got to talking immediately about all things. And I literally looked at him and I said, dude, keep the ego in check. Also, like, you're going to laugh at this comparison and you're going to laugh at this too, Chris, and listeners are going to laugh at it as well. And I want to be clear. Last year's Michigan team was not the three-peat Michael Jordan Bulls. I want to make that abundantly clear. Don't you like where I'm going already here, Chris? But you know how in 93-94, the year after Jordan left, where that team still, yeah, they still had Pippen, and maybe you could say Gavin Young is this team's Pippen. Sorry, Jacob Bickerstaff, I don't mean that disrespectfully. You're Tony Kukoc, I promise, um, or whatever it is. But that team still knew how to win, right? Like, they still had the institutional know-how. They still got to the conference semifinals. They were still really frisky all year long because there's the where, like the residual of, hey, we've been a top-eight team, or in the Bulls' case, we've been a title contender for a few years now. We know how to operate at that level. That's this Michigan team. This is their year after Jordan left Bulls win a playoff series moment where it's just like, hey, we still been in these battles. Like Bickerseth win over Basing. Talk about gumption. Like it was a must have. He goes sleeveless for the final two sets. That's senior leadership, folks. That's There's only two coming. guys on the team that can go sleeveless, and he's one of them. Yeah, well, he's earned that, right? Because he was on those <laughs> earlier teams. Uh, he's got his wings, as they would say for Michigan football. All I'm trying to say is, Chris, is you can't. the longer you and I stay in this business, again, I just compare this Michigan team to the three peoples. Um, I'm back. Didn't you miss me? Um, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you can't fake what it's like to have been in this moment, and Godsick's never been in this moment. Kang's never been in this moment. Rivera has never been in this moment. Even guys like Bosferetti and Banerjee, like still relatively new to this moment on the road, national indoors on the line, whatever it may be. Part two of my rant is we're going to see how good Stanford is this weekend. They're at TCU. They're at Texas. They have to probably win one of those matches now because they are not going to get the three at the national indoors. So there is some urgency for Stanford this weekend, maybe more than anyone else. But that's way too long on a Michigan regional that featured one entertaining. You know, again, any final thoughts there, Chris, on the follow-ups? Yeah, well, well, first of all, yeah, you you definitely showed your your youth. I mean, there's absolutely zero chance that Bickersteth is Tony Kukoc when you have a lefty in Nino Aaron Schneider, who is clearly Tony Kukoc. Also, Kukoc was a new ad to those teams. So actually, <laughs> yeah, but- if anything, like Patorn is Kukoc in that like, oh, we know Patorn's coming next year as yeah. he was on the bench last year. So he's actually the Kukoc, I think, but- in this scenario. Yeah. <laughs> But no, you, you're a, you're a hundred percent right. The urgency for Stanford's going to be there. The schedule's not there without you know. Now that you subtract indoors from it, and I'm going to be very interested to see. You know, the biggest question coming into it is 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 Bossa already going to play? If I'm the Stanford <laughs> fan and I look at what happened this weekend, I say, look, I'm I'm slightly disappointed in what I saw out of Kyle Kang because I would have expected. Come, you know, Aaron Schneider's seeing his first action of the year in singles. Certainly not a hundred percent. Is he ninety-five? Is he ninety? Is he eighty? I don't know. But I'm expecting Kyle to win those matches. On the flip side, I kind of like what I saw out of say Rivera. Um, uh, 
I, you know, I like what I saw out of Nico Godsick to some extent. They just need, yeah, they're freshmen and they're they're going to need some time. But if they, if Stanford goes, you know, if and it's a big if, but if they go zero and two this weekend, I, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know where where do you look next for them. If they go zero and two, they need USC to win the indoors because they play the Trojans twice, and it's like, hey, you got to be number one in the country, and we got to beat you both times. Otherwise, yeah, things start to get real tough uh, for Stanford moving forward. Chris, we're fifty-one minutes in. How many regions have we talked about? I'm just going to quiz you here. Uh, is that three or four? That's four. We're That's four, four in, baby. That's the pace. <laughs> I missed you. We're back. Uh, this is when we really are at our best. Literally, again, I saw Maloney, and he was like, we were just talking about national indoor stuff. He's like, who's the favorite or whatever? I was like, you want to hear favorite? I was on a three-hour conference call last year after you guys beat Virginia 4-0 where it was like, oh, my God, is this the team? Like, is this really going to happen? Like, that's my favorite. Um, you anyways. really asked who the favorite was? Come on. Because no, he doesn't want to hear the real answer. The real answer is it's 100% Ohio State. No, I think he would have been fine with that answer. Anyways, <laughs> look, someday on Patreon we'll do story time with Maloney because yeah. you're going to have to pay him for him to share those stories, but always one of my favorites. Anyways, speaking of one of my favorites, you know what's always a pleasure as a college tennis fan? Watching the energy of the Arizona Wildcats, watching them compete, and they need every bit of that exuberance, that enthusiasm, that some is more than the whole of the parts attitude that Arizona brings to knock off a very talented Baylor Bears team. And look, you don't you can say hey, Gruskin, you're in the hole for the Baylor Bears always. Blah, 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 blah. Like, no. I'm telling you, go watch these guys play. Go watch freshman Devin Badenhorst. Devin Badenhorst, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, he is that good. He got a 6-2 win over Gustav Strom. His weapons are real right away. Um, again, if Oscar Polson's playing five in your lineup, you're feeling good about the depth and the talent you have in your lineup. And yet, Arizona gets the win. And it's a credit to the Wildcats. They take the doubles point on home soil. Based on the names of their pairings, Smith Friend at one, Hoyer Allstrom at two, it feels like they're going all in at those top two spots. Guess what? They got 6-4 wins at those top two spots. Smith, 6-4 in the third at the number one spot. Friend, straight set win at two over Veltz proves his breakout fall kind of real. And then, again, you rely on the veterans. In this case, it's Nick Lagayev at the number four spot. Probably the biggest win of his Arizona career. 6-4 in the third. Knocks out Koenig to advance to the kickoff region. Now, here's the thing, Chris. 4-5, th- uh, excuse me, 5-4, 30-40. Long point be- between Lagayev and Koenig. Koenig does everything right. I don't want to say it was the easiest overhead, but it was a very makeable overhead. An overhead that if ITA National Indoors wasn't on the line, Chris Halioris, I would trust both you and me to make it. ITA Indoors was on the line. Koenig completely frames the overhead, goes to a deuce point. Lagayev takes it 6-4. I thought for sure Koenig was going to break for 5-all. And if he does, it's 3-all in the third with Bowden and Casper Christensen. Who knows where that match goes? Baylor was right there. Arizona pulls through, and in a year where, again, this group, it's the last year of Strom, you know, Hoyerall, again, we got some veterans on this Arizona roster. This feels like their year to make a final site. 
a lot easier to get to the final site if you have national indoor matches to make a push for a top eight seed with. It's a huge win for this Arizona group. But I thought Baylor looked really good as well. What was your reaction to this one? Yeah, I mean, I I think the things I took away from this are I had said coming into the season that I think Jay Friend is going to be two for Arizona. He is two and he's winning. So I, I I feel like that's a good a really good sign for this Arizona team. Uh and I think they're they're just gonna be solid. They're definitely a top eight contender and they're gonna be battling for that all year. My other takeaway is, you know, yeah, we've we're curious on Baylor. We think they're really good this year. I think after this showing, yes, they're really good. Devin Badenhorst is going to be a great, great freshman for them. He's in that uh, best freshman already conversation. Like, yeah, he's got to he, be on the radar. Yeah, he's going to be great. And look, the lineup that they played in this final, you know, the, my, my other takeaway is, look, there's no Ethan Musa, no Marco Milodinovic. It's the lineup I think think we thought we'd probably see yes those guys those other guys will probably get some time during the year i think when push comes to shove and it's hey this is a match we got to win this is the lineup we see and if i'm coach woodson i'm rolling this lineup out against anybody and going i'll take my chances i like what i've got and like you said Koenig was a point from making this a who knows what the heck happens match and and they're right in there. They can beat a top 10 team w- with this lineup and, and they're going to be very dangerous. How do we make this year's blue gray classic actually the national indoors consolation event? Because you could do an event with Kentucky, Mississippi State, Florida State, VCU, UNC, Illinois, Florida, Stanford, Baylor. And like that's nine teams, Georgia, 10, San Diego, 11, Michigan State, 12, Pepperdine, 13, Oklahoma, 14, UCLA, 15. And then whoever hosts it will say Auburn, 16. I'm freaking watching that event. Like I'm all in on the National Indoors undercard edition because some of the teams left out. You're like, how are you not going to be in New York, right? Like that was a legit off the top of the head, Chris, just looking at these regions like, oh, who lost in these regionals? Oh, I'd watch you. Oh, I'd watch you. Like, you could do it. This year, yeah, the depth there's is some that very, real. very, very fascinating teams that obviously aren't going to be at indoors that we would all love to watch. Yeah. All right. In that spirit, let's move on to these next regions. And I promise we're going fast the rest of the way. In fact, Chris, I just really need takeaways from you. USC, whew, whew, you are pulling on the shirt and bagging some air your way if you're head coach Brett Macy because there was a legitimate moment where it looked like San Diego was going to knock off the Trojans. Yes, the Trojans took the doubles point, but they dropped four first sets in singles and they dropped the like things weren't looking great for Oscar Waitman physically on four. Yeah, again, Ikebanko, you love his weapons against Sharma at five, but a fifth year versus a freshman. That's always going to be a tough matchup. Again, six was an absolute war. Destanich wasn't at his best this weekend. And again, against two really, like, one of my takeaways, I said I was going to go quicker here, Chris. Oliver Tarfit, his number eight ranking, that's real. real. There was nothing Steph could do to hurt him. And I was like, oh, okay, I wasn't familiar with your game, Oliver Tarfit. You ain't going to sneak up on me out anymore moving forward. But man, like, if you're Brett Macy, a match came down to your two freshmen, 
And yes, Waitman didn't pull it out, but he did manage to extend his match in a way to give his teammates time to get comfortable. And then in the end, Ikebanko break hold to clinch a match in a deciding third set to send your team to the national indoors. Now, again, I love him, so I'm going to call him out because I'd say it to his face and he could say it to mine. Brett Macy doesn't have a lot of hair on his head left to lose. He lost a lot of it, I'm sure, during the course of this match. But big picture to get your freshman in that scenario that early, Chris, had to have it. And the Trojans got it. They got it. But I'll tell you what, I think I think Coach Macy's actually feeling really good about this right now for a couple reasons. One, he wasn't feeling good when they were down four for like it looked like when no, Waitman, who was kind of limping around the court, like right, he definitely had to be like, "Oh my God, is this really going to happen?" Yeah, yeah. There was there was definitely a moment. I would doubt. I, I would I would agree that there were probably moments even if he won't admit it, that during that match, he thought, oh my God, we're going to lose the match now. And <laughs> and maybe that happened. But after winning the match, I, I here are my takeaways. One, we didn't get a win out of Steph this weekend at all, mm-hmm. right? He lost both his matches. We still came out. I didn't play Waitman the first day and I don't have knowledge here. So I'm making, you know, I'm only reading into it. I, do, I don't play Waitman the first day. I play him the second day and he doesn't look great. I'm assuming there are some issues there and he, and, he, and he didn't win. So there's another guy that's going to get better as things go on. And my other freshman in Ayaka Benko freaking clinched the match for me and is building all kinds of confidence. There's not a whole, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of places to go other than up for where they are. And they still won the region and made indoors. I'm feeling really good if I'm Coach Macy here. I'm I'm you and I looking at it going, man, I still have questions. Like, eh, I don't, I, it's hard to feel super great. But at the same time, I could see Coach Macy, if Coach Macy's making that argument to me, like, look, you tell me, we made indoors. Steph didn't win. Waitman was, hurt, you know, probably lingering injury hurt or something because he, you know, like you said, you saw him limping around, whatever. And and by the way, Waitman, you weren't on the on, on the. I don't think you were on the broadcast when I was calling the very the first match of the weekend. Waitman just got to L.A. Sunday night. Yeah, like he literally just arrived in the country Sunday and is now playing. Uh, you know, so what do you expect from the guy? But I think it was a matter of hey, in that final match, they felt like they needed to play him. But okay, fine. Waitman's not a hundred percent. You play him. Steph isn't winning. You know he's going to. And you still win. Yeah. I, I I don't feel bad about where I'm at. Look, this is, it's called broadcast-related dementia. I was on the call with you for that USC night match, and we're not going to talk about the camera incident because we wouldn't do that. But <laughs> I'm just saying, hypothetically, if it's a really good match, it sucks when the cameras go down. That's never fun for anyone. I don't know if that happened this weekend, but if it did happen and it happened on the West Coast, man, would that have sucked for fans everywhere. Um but it happens from time to time, by the way. And we got the perfect full match broadcast. No issues for San Diego, which I suppose is the regional final. I'll tell you what. If USC lost this match, I would have hit the panic button. Because they did not look good at times. And the single greatest Houdini magic trick we saw this weekend, Chris, 
was Ludwig Westrade from match one to match two. Like, <laughs> oh my God, he was so bad against SMU. Like, so bad. And then he was so good against San Diego. And it was just like, and when they needed him most. Um, and by the way, I feel like a lot of the time, and I don't say this disrespectfully, but how could it not come off disrespectfully? I feel like a lot of times Peter Mock's great in theory. This was a great win for Peter Mock. To, again, he was up an early break on Neff. Neff forced the breaker. Uh, that was the first match, excuse me, not Neff, um, not Tarvit, but the other one, Vasa. He was up an early break Here on Vasa. Vasa was able to kind of work his way back, but Mock able to get the, the final break, extend it, close things out in straights. And with him and Ludd winning in straights, that's what put the scoreboard pressure on San Diego. But yeah, like if you would have asked me going into Sunday night after watching Ludd at play at three the day before. I'd be like, ah, he's going to lose two and two. Like, there's no way Ludwig is ready to win. And it was a clinic of ball striking. So, again, USC was very far from their best, and they sneak out of both of their matches. SMU almost had them. And by the way, what a weekend for SMU to get the win as well. Such a dramatic match. Uh, Sunday, I, th- I believe they knock out Texas Tech, if memory is serving me correctly, Chris. Uh, 4-3. Spida's real. Spida loses in that match. I know, and they still, like, I like SMU. That's that's going to be my sneaky, fun squad to watch this year. Because they're just like, I just, again, they play with the energy of their head coach. And that Grant Chen ethos is always a blessing in college tennis. Yeah. yeah. This is how you know we're getting late is Chris doesn't have things to say. All right. Final two categories. We're going to streamline these because not that you listeners are probably bored of hearing this breakdown. Hell, you know what? I'm done apologizing for the length of this episode, Chris Hallioris. It's the kickoff weekend. It's our first weekend of data points. You and I are allowed to cook. We now move into a region, though, of regionals that, dare I say, will allow us to move progress a little bit more quickly. I call this the we definitely learned something region, Chris. So we're just going to alternate here. I'll go first for the first one. You'll go first for the second. Something we learned from this region. Let's start with the Tennessee regional. Tennessee might be tier one good. Tennessee is as much an SEC favorite in my mind as South Carolina is. Tennessee hit on their freshman. Pajonka's as good as advertised. Apple Towers, the uh, Al, however you say it, he's the real deal. It's Apple Tower, yeah. Yeah, Apple Towers, the real deal. They got six legitimate pieces. It's just there is no weakness in this Tennessee roster, and they have real strengths in a Monday at one. In theory, Diaz at six once he's at his healthiest, playing his most confident. They looked good in doubles. They have the three best wins on the board: Michigan, Wake Forest. Now a pretty definitive win over Oklahoma. That let the record show. Mark Mandlick was ready to fight after a call went against him to end that first set breaker against Angel Diaz. I happen to agree with the Diaz call, but again, to Mandlick his own. I will say if Mandlick wins that first set breaker, now things get a little tighter with first sets because that was kind of the first set that was the final straw on the back of the camel for Tennessee to begin to pull away. But that's my lesson learned, Chris, is that this Tennessee team might be inner circle good. I I don't disagree. The only problem I have with the Tennessee lineup right now, and you know, and I've told the coaching staff the same thing. Not that my opinion matters for anything. I don't think Angel Diaz belongs at six. I think that's a horrible spot for him because this is a. I I think a prototypical six player in college tennis 
gives Angel Diaz all kinds of problems. Angel likes to slap. Angel likes to hit winners. Angel does not want to play a grinder. Move him up. Get him in front of Apple Tower. Look, we don't even have Chris Lee in this lineup right now. Once we get outdoors, I think Chris Lee's in the lineup. We may not see Apple Tower once we get outdoors anymore. I'm not sure. But regardless, the guys you see in the top four in Monday, Mitsui, uh, Lalami, and Pajanka, they're playing no matter what. I don't think you're getting Diaz out of the lineup, even if you leave him at six or move him up, whatever. And then I think it's a question of, are we playing Apple Tower? Are we playing Chris Lee? But yes, they, I, they're they good. Uh, they're, they're, they're sneaky good. We're probably, you know, even at wherever the heck they are in the both the ITA and our rankings, I'm going to say six-ish. At the moment, they could be underrated. As you said, they've got the best wins on the board and three of them. They look really good. Winners, but also losers because... Blaze now won a challenger, and that means his yeah, chance of coming back drop a little. For the prospects of now coming back because but, if he did come back, mm, now we got to talk even more. Like now, it's not a question: Are they inner circle? Now it's okay. Where do they rank in the inner circle? Perhaps excited to see that team at the national indoors. I believe they were 2022 finalists of the event before getting knocked out by TCU. Chris, let's move next to the Harvard region. I really liked what I saw from the Crimson. Cooper Williams, as good as advertised. That's not my lesson learned from this Harvard Regional. And this is a carryover because I did call their match against Oklahoma State on Tuesday as well. UCLA is good. Like, UCLA is just, they're not, you know, old school Billy Martin guarantee pencil us into the quarterfinals, maybe even put us in pen there and pencil us in moving further than that. But there's not going to be an NCAA tournament bubble conversation for this UCLA team with this aggressive version of Nanda back, the big hitters in Ravelli, Hoog Martins at the top of their lineup. They have maybe the single most fascinating freshman, Chris, because what are every coach's favorite two words? Big lefty. They have that in Spencer Johnson at the four spot. And again, they take the doubles point from Harvard push them really closely in a bunch of different singles matches and you just wonder outdoors do things maybe change you know Deloy gets Gonzalez three sets to clinch at the number five spot again I really liked what I saw from the Harvard Crimson who then cruised over Northwestern in the regional final but to me that was the takeaway it's not that Harvard advanced it's that UCLA belonged in the conversation Chris they might be top 16 frisky Risky, maybe. The the my, my problem is, look, I I watched some of this over the weekend, and what I feel like the strength should be for UCLA is one, two, three, right? Nanda Ravelli Hoog Martins. That should be the strength for that team. And it just wasn't the strength, right? I mean, so I think they've got to get there. And I I, I know zero about has been doing since you know coming off the pro tour and having to take his you know his time off to coming back to college and play did i expect that he was going to lose to cooper williams you know six and six obviously a very tight match no do i think that a guy that's been playing pro tour played a couple years of college tennis is going to beat a freshman even a highly touted freshman yes i thought nanda would win that match and if that turns Boy, oh boy, do we have a heck of a match with, and we already had a heck of a match, but now it gets that much more interesting. 
But I also think it's something that, yeah, it, it very well may be we just need a little time for Nanda to get back in it. And given that we didn't get, like, look, Harvard beat them at one, two, three, the spots where I think UCLA should be good. If those guys start to turn it, just like the argument I made for USC, the guys that you expect to count on aren't winning. I'll make the same argument here. If the guys that you that didn't win are the guys you're really counting on in Nanda and Hoog Martins and hopefully Ravelli. Yeah, they, they could be there. I think 16, I mean, it's going to be a stretch, but they are definitely going to be, they're in any match just because of the guys they have, they could upset anybody on any given day. It's just like football. Pac-12 knows this is our last year in this configuration. We're making a last stand. Like Arizona, Arizona State, USC, UCLA, Stanford, they are all the best versions of themselves maybe that they have been in the last three years. And, yeah, I mean, again, Harvard's top four is going to be really tough to beat. Williams, uh, Von der Schulenberg, Malovsky, Chuck, those guys are real good. They're real experienced, obviously outside of Cooper, but he is super talented. But yeah, that was my takeaway is watching UCLA. That's the best UCLA team I've seen since they were last in the conversation, dare I say, in 2019. Um, since Nanda was there before. Yes, yeah, since Nanda's <laughs> last season. So that, that's the key. Maybe uh, that's, that's the a, common denominator. That's good. That's Chris. You're a mathematician. That's why we call you the professor, looking for those trends. All right. Again, we could have probably put these in the 8 nothing change region, but last three here, and we definitely learned something. South Carolina, what did we definitely learn? They need Thompson and Story back. Thompson in doubles more than anything, and they drop the doubles against Clemson. They take it against LSU, and they look far more decisive when having Thompson back with Samuel at that top spot. Then, again, Darabagi, Saar, four freshmen. They're getting pushed early. They look the part. Everything you could ask for if you're head coach Josh Goffey. But, yeah, like, I, I, I again, maybe it I, like. This is just, I guess, here's my takeaway. They might have beaten Virginia. This South Carolina team ain't close to scratching their surface. No, we we really need to see a full South Carolina team to know what to make of them. The, I'll, I'll say this. In yeah, the South that's, Carolina- no, but that's perfectly put. They may have beaten Virginia. I still have no idea how good this South Carolina yeah, team exactly. is. Yeah, exactly. I was going to yeah. say, I, that's where I was going to go is they beat Virginia with a Thompson and storyless team. And I am at this point after seeing that same Thompson and storyless team play Clemson ready to say that was a complete anomaly. That was a one in a hundred shot that they did that. And they, that team without Thompson and story, honestly, aren't going to beat Virginia like that again. Now with Thompson and story, are they there? Maybe. I just don't know. We got to see it. And we still haven't seen it. We got Thompson back for doubles in the final day. Still no singles. I'm worried because of that. And look, my gut tells me, and I love Coach Coffee, and I love South Carolina, and I want to pull for him. But until I see a healthy Thompson and Story, I'm going to say, am I voting them up in the rankings because of what they've done? Yes. Do I think if that was the lineup they were playing in an NCAA tournament come May, That's they're going exactly to finish, it. They're gonna exactly finish there? It. Absolutely not. 
Yeah. I would pick Tennessee to beat them right now. And South Carolina beat Virginia in Charlottesville. And that's just, again, I test-wise. I saw both teams play. I was more impressed by Tennessee. And again, credit to South Carolina. They're doing it without Thompson. They're doing it without Story. I need to see more from them. That's my takeaway. But what I learned is that, again, this team is nowhere near its ceiling. A fascinating inner circle team, obviously, after that win in Charlottesville. But we'll keep our eyes to learn more about the Gamecocks moving forward. Duke Regional next. Did we learn anything in particular from the results? No. Duke advancing very comfortably. Four over NC State, four over Middle Tennessee. But I think that itself is a story. After Duke limped through the opening weekend. And by the way, VCU, that law, uh, that 4-3 win aged well. We know VCU is good. But Duke just looked so much better this weekend. Rodinus looked the part again. He gets a couple of wins. The Krugs looked way better at the four and six spots. Andrew Zhang still playing much more like his junior self than his fourth-year self. Um, I guess this weekend what I learned is, okay, the Duke hype after I was like off the bandwagon completely after last weekend, I'm like, oh, okay. like No, this team is good. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think obviously we were concerned with a couple four three wins, yeah. uh, you know, previously uh, for them VCU and Princeton, and and look, they looked great. And we know Middle Tennessee is a good team. So and so NC that, State, NC yeah, State should it, be a solid team. Yeah, that, the, both of those wins lend good credence to them. But I, for whatever reason, I remain skeptical. I, I don't know. I, I can't place it. I don't know. Why. I think it's just the fact that I'm still not sold on the four through six, and I'm going to have to see it against a little more top tier than I'll say the four through six are for Middle Tennessee and 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 NC State. But there aren't that many teams out there that are that much better at those spots than them. So are they a top 10 team? Yeah, they, they probably are. Do I think? think they're a like you know a title contender no not at this point but I am very encouraged by the fact that Rodina seemed to be much better off than we had seen him but yeah I learned that okay they're a little better you know they're definitely not as questionable as I thought after those four three wins they they showed a little more a little more dominance here yeah I Good, experienced teams should never lose a match like the ones they had against teams they were definitively better than in Middle Tennessee and NC State, and they proved it. And that win over conference foe NC State in particular, it's like, oh, that's cute. You guys have your returners too, and all these guys are back. No, no, no. Johns and Zhang, they're both back this year because we're here to do something special. And again, Duke, I don't believe, had been to the National Indoor since 2015. They're back. They get their win. They advance their kickoff weekend. That's what that group is sent there to do. Them and Arizona. Like, it would have been serious setbacks for two veteran lace groups not to get to the National Indoor final site and give themselves a look at the best teams in the country. And now both those squads going to have that opportunity. Chris, last but not least, and we definitely learned something region, Georgia region, where Texas A&M, Knocks off Georgia for two, four three set matches in singles ultimately, but uh, in the end, A and M after dropping the doubles points, they get wins from Casper at straight sets at the number six spot. Uh, after that, three set wins from Perot, Tokots, and Perez. Respectfully, it was Tokots, the sophomore transfer from Florida, with the clinch six four in the third over MPP. 
Chris, considering how many new pieces Georgia has to their lineup, again, the junior Pulsell didn't play much last season or at all, and now he's playing one for them. Colby, yes, in and out of the USC lineup last year, but now he's playing two at a new school. You know, again, uh, Majub's a freshman, Rachu's a freshman, Blade's a freshman. What'd you learn from this region? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I learned that what I thought about Georgia is probably true. They're going to be, you know, okay. It's a rebuilding year. Let's say, you know, no coach will ever admit that, right? But well, it wasn't re- supposed to be, but no yeah. Quinn, no Mickelson, uh, no, no Ibusi. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Like it's you lose the guys that you thought were going to be yeah. your top three. Yeah what the heck are you supposed to do as a coach? It's not like, and when those guys kind of bail on you when it's getting close to the season and you've kind of, you know, look, the reality of college tennis is those scholarships are given out much further than that in advance. And when you've tied up scholarship money to Ethan Quinn and to Alex Mickelson and to Ignacio Busi, and and now all of a sudden none of those guys are coming and you go, Oh, hey, hey, world, we have all these scholarships available. Sorry, all the top guys are committed elsewhere. What do you do? Right. I mean, it's not it, it's not their. I, I can say it's not their fault. There's not much they can do about it. It is rebuilding. They build up for the next year. Um, they do have they still have some talent, but I, I think we learned. Yeah, it's going to be, a you know, a, a rebuilding year for Georgia. What I really learned here. It, um, which is what I was looking to see was between Texas A&M and Auburn, what do we have? And Texas A&M, who I thought would come out and in the end did prevail, but man, was those those were close matches both days for them with Auburn and uh, and with Georgia is, yeah, I think adding Tokach to that lineup for them gives them some real depth. And I think this is a good, I mean, playing Perego down where they are. I think this is a real dangerous team that in the SEC is going to give anybody a fit on any given day. And I like this Texas A&M squad. That's exactly it. Like they're as fascinating to me as anyone because it's a lot of known pieces. Like, are they last year's Auburn, Chris, where it's just kind of like, oh, like you guys have all been around. You guys have all seen everything there is to see. You know, again, who's the freshman in their lineup? Like, their freshman is J.C. Roddick, who is a junior. I guess Diego Perez is literally a freshman. Uh, yeah, he's the only spot. freshman. But, yeah. like, you don't need to play him. And you can turn to other veteran options that they have available to them on that roster. Like, you know who we didn't see in this one? We didn't see Marson, your guy, your go-to. Um who's still on this roster, I believe, Chris, if memory serves me correct here, for Texas A&M. And, like, they got options everywhere. And this was a team that, like, dare I say again, against this young of a Georgia squad when you've got advantages everywhere, like, you should go. Oh, and I said, uh, I said, I said, um, who did I say? I said, uh, Guido Marson, I meant Julio Perego. Excuse me. Perego is yeah, who Marson's I was. Gone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, excuse me. I meant Perego. Again, it's early in the season, folks. Let me have some we're we're 80 minutes in. Um we didn't see Perego in the lineup, right? And like he had been a staple of that lineup over the course of the past few years. And so Yeah, like 
I'm fascinated. Who fits where for this Texas A&M lineup? There is a lot of talent everywhere. By the way, like J.C. Roddick starting at the number two spot, that was not something I saw given he did not contribute much throughout the course of last season. By the way, Perego played at the number four spot against Georgia. So we're going to leave all of that in, and that's proof that we need to speed things up here. Shout out to my brain not working, Chris. They didn't have Guido Marson in the lineup. I was right about that. Technically, yeah, yeah actually, you're right about that. Yeah, and, and, wrong. and I'll venture to guess he won't be there all year. Uh, but well, uh, you know, in college tennis, I've learned never to say never. But yeah, carry on. Ca- I, I'm, but, but the thing that I like about that this team is, look, they are, other than Perez, like you Who's talked about, they're all known quantities. And Luke Casper was back to looking like the Luke Casper that we expect to just grind you down to, uh, you know, uh, nothing and beat you at six. And, and that's what, that's what he was doing. And yeah, everybody else, including the new addition Tokach to me, they, they're just going to battle and they're going to be a very tough out for anybody. Mathis Ross. We saw him get a lot of singles run. He's still on this lineup. Kenner Taylor, another guy, ton of double success, but some singles run as well in the bottom half of the lineup. He's an option for coach Denton to turn to, I was surprised we didn't see Taylor. And I mean, Kenner Taylor is a, as you mentioned, a great doubles player. We didn't see him in the doubles lineup. So I don't know if that's, you know, one of the, what I'll call the DNP CD didn't play coach's decision. Right. Is that, was that a, Hey, we just didn't play him or is he actually hurt? I don't know, but he is a great doubles player and he didn't play like in that, I'm looking at the Auburn match. He he wasn't in the doubles lineup there. I don't know if it was the same for the Georgia match or not, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I like Kenner Taylor, Taylor a lot in, in doubles for them. But yeah, this, the A&M team to me is a fascinating team to watch as I think, you know, as you mentioned, South Carolina, Tennessee clearly right now have to be the, the favorites we thought maybe Mississippi State, Kentucky after their weekends they may drop Tennessee or Texas A&M's right there in that battle with those teams now in my mind for who is the third best team in the in the SEC they're right there yeah it'll be fascinating to watch moving forward again A&M through to the National Enders I believe first time they've made it there Chris since we saw them back in Wisconsin uh in 2020 that said Chris Halioris, last but not least in our categories. We finally reached there. And by the way, we're still going to do our Crack Rackets Top 10. We're still going to talk about the week ahead, but let's rapid fire through these. All you right. learn anything new about Virginia or no? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. All right. We'll see you this weekend in Columbus, and then we'll see you in New York. Ohio State, you learn anything? They're really good. Yeah. You know what I learned? <laughs> I already that, knew that, though. <laughs> I learned that it is going to be Kingsley 1, Boulay 2. I learned that it is going to be Tracy 3 for now. And by the way, Anthrop 4, indoors, Bernie 5. That's the right call. Like, when you're inside, that's how it should be. Because I, Yeah, I don't know that I learned anything there. I will say I was mildly surprised. No, I got my learn. That yeah, credit that, to Ty, always scheming, always a step ahead. Robert Cash who has lost maybe three doubles matches his entire career, he ain't at one doubles, Chris. He ain't at two doubles, Chris. That's ridiculous. He's at three with Nakashima. I will say, though, Luchonic and Boulay, because I believe that was their one, um, Kingsley and Tracy at two, like, it's not unjustified. I'll say that. It's not unjustified. But to credit to Ty, he found a way to play Robert Cash at three in an, in a justified way. Like, I didn't think that was possible. 
Yeah, I mean, you said it. Like, uh, anybody will take Robert Cash as their doubles partner, and you will win. But, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, that that was absolutely ridiculous. But I, I do, I was a little surprised, potentially even in the opening match that they played Bernie indoors and didn't give somebody like Luchana. I mean, they're going to win that opening. Let's sure. be honest. They were going to win both matches no matter what. But especially opening day, I thought we might see someone like a Lutzschanig or somebody else in the singles lineup. We didn't see it. So yeah. didn't really learn anything. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, well, again, they're very good. Texas? Nah, I mean, the only thing I learned from there is I'm... I'm slightly worried that maybe there are some ling. I don't know why guys got pulled. We saw we saw different guys not playing. Was it truly just a, hey, we're pretty sure we're going to win, so we're going like, to sit some guys, or do we have injuries? I don't know the answer, so it's hard to say that I learned from it. But if I knew the answer and it was because of injuries, man, I get a little bit concerned. No, no problems. Obviously, coming out of the region and winning, but dropping a doubles point to UTSA—it's it, a little bit concerning. I don't think I really learned much other than, hey, there might be some questionable lineups coming forward, moving I, forward. I got two things I learned. One, Braswell's fall—it's real, and him healthy, as good as anyone in college tennis we have right now. Thing number two I learned, Lucas Brown is Bruce Burke's new Nevin Aramilli. Like any chance Bruce has to play Lucas Brown at six, he going to take it. And I just, that's why I love Bruce. So, that's can, can, I, we coin, can we coin it right now in the air quotes, the Lucas Brown experiment? Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, do we already get to quote it? It's a thing now. I will say Lucas is good. Like, he can, boy can play. Um, it's not just like a, a Bruce Burke project, but I just, I love Bruce where it's like, should I play Jonah? Should I play GA? No, nah, let him look at his slam finalist trophies today. What about Seam? Should I play I, Seam? No, I'm going to go with Lucas. Let's, I, let's I will admit I was shocked when I saw, because I, I was the one that said, hey, I think Jonah Braswell plays like 9 million matches this year for them. Yeah. Um, is Lucas going to lead I it? I looked up and he's out and Lucas Brown is in. That, that did surprise me. Lucas is good. But I'm just saying like, just it's, it was the most Bruce Burke thing of all time, right? For us that know him and love him. It was just like, yeah, that's, I should have seen it coming. Like, oh, you'd think at this point, Chris, we'd be aware and ready for that. I'm, I'm highly disappointed we're not on video tonight, Gruskin, because I, I was all prepared with my Texas shirt that Coach Burke gave me when I was down there. <laughs> and since you told me no video, I just wore it for the bike and sweat through it, and now I'm in something else. Yeah, that's that's probably why Lucas Brown got the play is because he yeah. does that all the time too. Um, yeah. All right, last but not least, TCU. They advance fairly comfortably uh, over Tulsa in the regional finals. Shout out to Tulsa, though. Josh Molino, new assistant coach, my former high school coach. They get a win at the regional, so we'll take that always. Um Gorsney at five. That was the only thing I learned. You got anything for me on the Horned Frogs? Yeah, we, I mean, th this is the one team that's in that top segment, if you that top section of the rankings that we we just haven't seen tested yet. So uh, we don't really know until we you, until we see them play. Obviously, we're gonna get to see them play Stanford, but uh, we we need to see you know them really get pushed by you know across the board in singles. 
with players that are at the same caliber. And, and I think we'll see that this weekend, but no, didn't learn anything from them this, you know, from this past weekend, really. I agree with you. We'll still get plenty more shots though, to see the Horned Frogs as again, they take on Stanford this weekend. That said folks, 90 minutes later, that's your look at all 15 regions from ITA kickoff weekend. Chris Hallioris, you are the man for braving that out with me. Before I let you go, though, we got two more things to cover. We got to talk about our new Crack Rackets top 10. Dare I say, we finally have an actual set of data for us to assess these teams with. And thus, we have our top 10 for all of you fans to enjoy today. Now, again, there are six voters in our poll. We've got two editions of the poll, one just cumulative rankings, the other where we pull the highest and lowest for what it's worth. You do the high-low removal on the men's side this week, no changes to our rankings. So, thus, your Cracked Rackets top 10, Chris Hallioris, is as follows. Number 10, the USC Trojans. Number 9, Duke. Number eight, Arizona. Seven, Columbia. Six, Tennessee. Five, Texas. Four, TCU. Three, UVA. Two, South Carolina. And number one, Ohio State. Now, for what it's worth, Ohio State received five of six. First place votes in our poll. I will be the first to admit I put South Carolina at the number one spot. And yes, they struggled this past weekend. Yes, the Buckeyes didn't. I sincerely did consider making that flop right out the way, but... You beat Virginia in Charlottesville. You can stay number one until we get one more weekend of top five action to unfold. And again, Ohio State gets their shot at Virginia here on Thursday. So Buckeyes win that. I assure you they will be the unanimous number one in the poll next week. But Chris Elias, you got any problems with our top 10 for what it's worth, how it compares to the ITAs? I think it's the exact same 10 schools, just in a slightly different order. We're a little higher on Arizona, Columbia. They're a little higher on USC, Duke. Yeah, no, I I don't I don't have any issues per, per se with with the rankings. I think it's it's interesting to note that you know that South Carolina sort of hang hangs in it too. You you said you voted them one. I'll be the first to admit last week I voted them two. This week I actually dropped them to three. Yeah. Just because I wasn't super impressed with the Clemson performance, if you will. Uh but it's a really tough it's a really tough call. It's all going to work itself out as we get more matches in and it's it's really just sort of an eye test to me at this point and we need more competitive matches and that doesn't, you know, for the most part get real until all these schools go to indoors and then we'll have a whole lot of head-to-heads to be comparing. Yeah. I mean, I did, like, again, one thing for me in the rankings this week, I put Tennessee ahead of TCU. I think I'm the only one in our rankings who did that. And the reason I did it is just Tennessee's got three really good wins. I don't care that they're all at home. Michigan, Oklahoma, and Wake Forest, those are wins that I just haven't seen TCU earn yet. And again, we'll get to see that this weekend, but they can jump them after that. Same thing, UVA's played Texas, South Carolina, Ohio State just hasn't yet. I will reward them as soon as they do, starting this week. For what it's worth, 11, 12, and 13 in the coaches poll, Michigan, Harvard, Wake Forest in our coaches poll. 11, 12, 13, we go Michigan, Wake Forest, Harvard. So there's some unanimity right now in the college tennis intelligentsia. Coaches, pundits, we all kind of see things the same way right now, which makes sense because the real confusion right now comes 14 through 25, not the 
one through 10 spots. And again, that's what we litigate for now here in our Crack Rackets top 10 poll. One more time, it is as follows. Number 10, USC. Number 9, Duke. Number 8, Arizona. 7, Columbia. 6, Tennessee. 5, Texas. 4, TCU. 3, UVA. 2, South Carolina. Number 1, Ohio State. A shout out to our six voters. You all know who you are. We appreciate you giving us that effort as it is not a simple exercise to put these together each and every week. Last but not least, Chris Hallioris, before you fall asleep on me here on this broadcast and remember folks chris has to go back to the office now he's still giving us late oh. hours that's why we love him more than anyone else you call in sick tomorrow is that the official approximation i no, i i can't do that it's but it's uh yeah yeah for those that know uh, my place of employment it's been a rough week so uh it's not uh it's not getting any better Yes. Well, if this can be your therapy session, then I am glad that we can provide that for you. And certainly therapeutic college tennis on the men's side all weekend long. I mean, again, I'm just going to run you through everything. Virginia at Ohio State on Friday. You've also got Stanford at TCU on Friday. Duke at Illinois on Friday. Columbia at Wake Forest on Friday. Arizona at San Diego on Friday is also a really good match. You also have Michigan at Harvard. And then I'm going to throw this one on there too. SMU at A&M, 1 p.m. Eastern time. I'll be watching that if you want Arizona State Pepperdine on your list. Mississippi State, Middle Tennessee, I'd probably put that tier two as well. Saturday, you've got North Carolina at Illinois. Florida State taking on Florida as well in the college tennis match day, match of the weekend, which we will have on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. And then Chris Sunday, Wake Forest at Ohio State. Virginia at Kentucky. Stanford at Texas, Tennessee at TCU, Columbia at NC State, Arizona State at San Diego. It's going to be a really good week, really fun weekend of college tennis. Chris, if there's one match, I mean, it's obviously Virginia, Ohio State, so we can make that disclaimer right away. But just talk me through what you're looking forward to in the week ahead. I know I listed a lot of matchups there. What's most important in your mind? Yeah, I think, you know, I look at it and I go, hey, they're the teams that maybe I still have a lot of questions about that are highly ranked. And so the one that jumps out at me, I mean, you obviously you mentioned Virginia High State's the marquee match, but the one of two highly ranked teams that I still have some questions, Columbia Wake Forest on Friday is super intriguing to me. I want to see more of this Wake Forest team because they've got so many new folks. I want to see more. I want to see Columbia. That's undoubtedly going to be, you know, that's an indoor match. That's super, super intriguing. The other one, because only A, because it's in my neck of the woods, and B, you didn't even mention it, Louisville, Kentucky. Like, we saw Kentucky go down to Alabama. Louisville has sort of gotten a little bit sneaky good here in the last year or two. I think that, you know, that could get tricky for Kentucky if they're not really careful. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, man, after the disastrous home kickoff weekend for Mississippi State, now they go to Middle Tennessee. Holy cow. If they manage to not come out of there with a win, things start, you know, things are the wheels are falling off uh, uh, for the Bulldogs. So that that's a. That's a rough, rough match. That's like a must win to me for them. So so those those are the ones I'm I'm sort of looking forward to, at least from a from a Friday, uh Friday deal. Perfectly put before I let you go. Straight predictions. Virginia at Ohio State, who you got? I mean, it's at Ohio State, right? Yeah. It's Ohio State. Stanford at TCU. TCU. Stanford at Texas. 
Texas. Columbia at Wake Forest. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a good one. That that's the one I just don't know. I yeah. don't know how to pick. I don't know if but enough about either team. I will almost always when in doubt lean in favor of the home team. So uh and because they looked so good this weekend when I didn't expect it, I'll take Wake Forest. Last three. Tennessee at TCU. We haven't seen TCU tested. Tennessee's got great wins. I'm going to go Tennessee with the upset. Mm. What I think will be technically an upset, I like them in that match. We've seen it in the past happen before. Last but not least, uh, sorry, last two, Michigan-Harvard. Oh, man. that's And it's at Harvard. Tough, tough match. Michigan's coming around. I'm going to take Michigan in what is probably considered an upset. I mean, we've got them back-to-back basically in the rankings. I'll take Michigan on the road. Last one because it's on our YouTube channel, Florida, Florida State. Florida dropped out of the top 25 this week. Florida State's still in. I don't know. Somehow, I still think Florida, I think they I just got to get these yeah. new guys along. I think they're a better team. I'm going to go Florida. I love to hear it. Chris Hallioris, you gave me 100 minutes of excellence. And given I am locked in a hotel room, that's really all I could have asked from for you. So thank you, as always, for the breakdown, folks. That is your week ahead. And if you're not excited as a college tennis fan to enter month number two, February, the second most exciting month we have in the college tennis world after May, I don't know what to tell you. You're probably still not listening to minute number 101 of this podcast if you aren't excited about those things. So a thank you to all of you listeners for tuning in today as well. There was a lot of exciting tennis that unfolded over the course of the weekend. Hopefully you now feel up to date on everything we saw unfold. A thank you to you, Chris Hellyers, for helping me break it down. A thank you, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out. Make every broadcast you saw over the course of the weekend possible and just again deals with more of my nonsense than any human not related to me should have to so a shout out to him as always but with that said i know you're ready to roll chris halley or so for my fantastic co-host chris our super producer daniel westoff and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin chris what do we tell our listeners hey Great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.